Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to your favorite one-stop shop for horror news, true crime, and real-life tales of the unexplained. Monsters at Midnight, The Revenge. I'm your host, your favorite escaped madman, loose on the airwaves, terrorizing your eardrums, Matt Schaefer, and I am still all alone, which is fine. Uh, I want to thank everyone who listened to our uh, uh, first comeback episode. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, after so long a time, you never really expect to see any interest. But, uh, you know, I've uh, been getting a lot of uh, good feedback on it. Um, and the, the posts I made on Instagram and Facebook did see some traffic. So... That's much better than I thought we were going to do, so I appreciate you. Um, got it out a lot faster than I thought I was going to as well, so I hope you had a happy Halloween. Uh, autumn really clocked the fuck out <laughs> here. Uh, it is like proper winter already. Talk of snow all day tomorrow in the forecast. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um... Got a fun episode lined up here for you. Since uh, it's been so long, got a lot of movies that came out. A lot of big releases that we never got to talk about. And I saw some of them, so I'm going to talk about them. So, without further ado, lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn out the lights. Monsters at Midnight, the motherfucking revenge rides again. Uh, it's good to be back. Got a cat on my lap. Got a glass of water. Got my hat on. I apologize if I sound like shit. <laughs> um, I kind of just woke up and I'm like congested. Last episode too. I was also coming off of a cold. I've spent all 26 years of my life on this planet battling some sort of congestion. And I don't know what's wrong with me. And that's fine gonna take it in stride so let's go back a little bit in time here last episode of monsters of midnight proper came out in january of 2020 if i'm not mistaken you can stay on my lap you do not have to walk on my desk right next to my water <laughs> this is gonna be great radio here january 2020 a lot of movies to talk about a handful, at least. Um, some of them I really liked. Some of them I really didn't. I'm just going to talk about... I'm just looking at my letterbox diary. Just going to talk about <clears throat> some pre uh, predominant horror movie releases that uh, I did see. Um, excluding Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. If you want my thoughts on those two movies, check out the last episode we did where I... Uh, ranked the Halloween sequels. But, uh, some of these I have not seen since they came out, so I'm not going to go too in-depth into a lot of these. Um, just going to sort of uh, give impressions and how I feel about uh, the ones I don't remember super well, and then uh, maybe go into a little bit more depth depth on the ones I'm super passionate about, so indulge me. Let's go back to 2020. 
2020, <laughs> in case you didn't remember, uh, <laughs> didn't go outside a whole lot. So I didn't actually get to check out a whole lot in theaters. Uh, from 2020, it looks like the... Oh, no, there's a couple movies I saw from 2020. Yeah, there's a couple movies I saw from 2020. It looks like three. Three horror movies we can talk about that I saw in 2020. <laughs> Let's start with Possessor. Directed by Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, just going to quick read the synopsis on Letterboxd. Tasia Voss, an elite corporate assassin, uses brain implant technology to take control of other people's bodies to terminate high-profile targets. As she sinks deeper into her latest assignment, Voss becomes trapped inside a mind that threatens to obliterate her. Uh, I've only seen Possessor once. I saw it uh, once it was finally available uh, digitally. So I actually probably saw it around like Christmas of 2020. And I remember really, really liking it. I have on Letterboxd, I have given it a four and a half star rating. Um, I remember the idea, the concept being super cool and super scary. I remember the visuals being fucking insane and it being like really gnarly but it's also directed by david cronenberg's son so <laughs> no surprises there um but i need to revisit it because uh, it's a little foggy in my memory a lot has happened these past few years um but i can say that it is worth checking out if you want uh some gross creepy uh sci-fi body horror type stuff check out possessor by brandon cronenberg moving on to another movie that uh um, or a movie that i have uh more feelings about have a little bit more to say about that's freaky directed by christopher landon who also directed the uh, happy death day movies a uh, mystical ancient dagger causes a notorious serial killer to magically switch bodies with a 17-year-old girl. So if you're familiar with Happy Death Day and how that was like sort of a slasher movie by way of Groundhog's Day, this is a slasher movie by way of Freaky Friday, Friday the 13th <laughs> specifically in this movie, which I thought was very funny. Um, Vince Vaughn plays the serial killer. And uh, Catherine Newton plays uh, the teenage girl that he sw uh, switches bodies with. This is just a a, a really fun movie. It's a, it's a fun take on the slasher movie and like the body swap uh, Freaky Friday concept. It's a lot of fun uh, getting Vince Vaughn to... Uh, seeing Vince Vaughn play essentially like a teenage girl once uh they do the body swap and then Catherine newton this like puny little uh 17 year old girl becomes this unstoppable killing machine it's just a fun movie you kind of know what you're in for if you like saw the trailers or anything it's kind of what you get what you see is what you get which is fine i like this movie considerably more than happy death day uh specifically because this is uh this is a hard r slasher movie where Happy Death Day 
actually isn't that violent at all. It's just more, like, conceptually fucked up. This movie's fucking violent. People die, and people die in brutal ways in this movie. And it's pretty awesome. Um, very funny. Uh, great uh, uh, comedic performance from Vince Vaughn. And some uh, stellar slasher movie kills. Uh, give this one a 4 out of 5. Check it out. Um, and then the final film from 2020 that I saw, I actually saw this fairly recently, so this is more in my, uh, memory, but that's gonna be Psycho Goreman. Psycho Goreman was really making the rounds, being promoted heavily by publications like Bloody Disgusting and other stuff. Um, it was sort of a critical darling at, uh, like, whatever it, film festivals it was at and stuff like that, so... Little uh, synopsis, siblings Mimi and Luke unwittingly resurrect an ancient alien overlord. Using a magical amulet, they force the monster to obey their childish whims and accidentally attract a rogues gallery of intergalactic assassins to small town suburbia. I'm not going to lie, I did not like this movie at all. I thought this movie was fucking obnoxious. Um... Which is kind of a shame. Uh, two of my coworkers were really uh, amped uh, for me to see it. And I thought it looked uh, kind of fun when it was first uh, making the runs. Uh, or making the runs. Yeah, that's a pretty apt description. Making the rounds at the uh, uh, festival circuit. But I thought this movie was fucking irritating. Uh, the biggest problem with this movie is it's the big problem I have with most fucking, like, comedy horror or just comedies in general that are coming out more and more recently is that every character is just so goddamn unlikable. And, like, especially the Mimi, this little girl, she is just a fucking twerp. And, like, there is a really, especially with kids in movies there's a really fine line you need to walk between like a funny asshole kid and an obnoxious asshole kid and this one unfortunately tips into obnoxious asshole kid i and this is your hero essentially and the entire time you're stuck with this obnoxious bratty kid um so that sucks <laughs> on top and on top of that though i just didn't think I think the movie is trying a little too hard with this whole, like, influx of, um, like, 80s nostalgia pandering type, uh, like, comedies and, uh, horrors that have been coming out. Stranger Things had a lot to do with that. I think some, a lot of it really works really well. This one, I think, is trying way too hard to be, like, campy and like cheesy and it's it's a little too wink naughty at the camera with it's just like it's intergalactic story and it's low budget like creature effects and it's also just, it's it's confused at what time period it's taking place because it's definitely like stylistically like supposed to be mimicking movies like this that came out in the 80s but the like it clearly takes place in the 90s because the kids are playing N64 and just a lot of the, like, technology and cars and stuff look like they're from the 90s. So if you're going to do a movie like that, get your fucking decades right. 
because like I shouldn't be hearing the synth music and the wailing guitars from like 1984 if your movie takes place in 1995 or 94. Um, funny enough, we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but yeah, if this movie worked for you, that's great. I just I could not stand it. I I thought the I thought Psycho Gorman himself was also pretty one-dimensional and didn't have a whole lot to contribute be- beyond the like stoic demon hell-bent on destruction and oh but he meets this wacky kid. I yeah, one a big fan. Thought it was obnoxious. Uh 2 out of 5 from me. But that was the final film I saw in 2020. Uh, just a reminder that you can uh, check me out on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash mattflamingo. You can give me a follow. You can uh, I try to review about everything I see. Um, I also uh, I do a lot of lists because I'm anal retentive like that. I uh, Yeah, I'm very active on there. So if you're ever curious on what I think about stuff outside of the realm of horror, uh, check out letterboxd.com slash mattflamingo. I apologize if you can hear the cat screaming in the background. Um, we might... No, I think he's okay. <laughs> he gets lost sometimes. He's just a sad, scared old man. But yeah, speaking of uh, lists and stuff, I uh, have a list uh, ranking all of the Saw movies because that's what I was up to... Uh, this past uh, spring of 2021. Um, but I'm actually getting ahead of myself because <laughs> there's a movie that I uh, that I missed that I should probably talk about. Uh, Willie's Wonderland from 2021, directed by Kevin Lewis. Oh, Lord. Uh, synopsis, I guess. When his car breaks down, a quiet loner agrees to clean an abandoned family fun center in exchange for repairs. He soon finds himself waging war against possessed animatronic mascots while trapped inside Willy's Wonderland. And, of course, the quiet loner is played by Nicolas Cage. This was another big one that was talked about, uh, especially this one was getting a lot of press because it is essentially Five Nights at Freddy's, the movie. Only if it Five Nights at Freddy's just outwardly sucked in every single capacity. This movie, God, this movie was so fucking bad. And the fact that people actually like this movie kind of upsets me. This is the kind of movie that, um, when I say that I'm a Nicolas Cage fan, instantly people have shit like this to point to, and I'm like, you're right, I can't defend, <laughs> I can't defend this movie. This movie is so fucking bad. It was fun watching it and, like, riffing it with, uh, friends, but... Yeah, dude, this is, like, all, like, it is just, this movie, I just remember being so poorly made. Like, every, like, the effects are bad, it's just cheap-looking, the cinematography is bad, the editing is shit, all the characters suck and are written terribly, and Nicolas Cage doesn't say anything in the movie, which, like, 
cool. He gets to do a lot of, like, screaming and, like, physical performance. But I just don't know what the idea was behind it. Like, if you're going to have a batshit, like, insane animatronic, killer animatronic movie with Nicolas Cage, have him fucking say something. It's just a, it was just a poorly conceived idea. It's a bad movie. It looks like shit. It's, and it's just, I'm glad that Nicolas Cage still seems to be doing things that he is actually like, <laughs> I shouldn't say that because you get the impression that he is very passionate about whatever it is that he's doing, but I'm glad that he is still putting out stuff like Unbearable Weight and, uh, other films like that. Uh, but yeah, one out of five, not a whole lot of enjoyment to be gleaned. Unless uh, you are lampooning it with uh, some friends. And that cat sure is screaming. This is his favorite thing to do. He just gets off my lap and then wanders away and screams. Hey, buddy. Uh, super professional podcaster here. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Anyway, going back to what I was initially saying. Uh, I was gearing up to see Spiral. So I finally watched all of the Saw movies. Was it worth it? Probably not. But uh, I certainly can say that I have seen all the Saw movies. Uh, so Spiral from the Book of Saw. This was actually the first movie I had seen in theaters in probably like close to two years. So that was kind of cool. Directed by Darren Lynn Bousman, who directed 2, 3, and 4 in this series as well. Excuse me. Working in the shadow of an esteemed police veteran, brash detective Ezekiel Zeke Banks and his rookie partner take charge of a grisly investigation into murders that are eerily reminiscent of the city's gruesome past. Unwittingly entrapped in a deepening mystery, Zeke finds himself at the center of the killer's morbid game. Uh, Spiral is fine. <laughs> um, Spiral is... I would say Spiral sits very snugly in the middle of uh, the ranking of the Saw movies. It, it's it got a lot of passion behind it. Like, I can't necessarily say that Chris Rock's performance is good, but you can tell that he is really really passionate about this movie that they're making you can tell that he is genuinely a big fan of this series it's cool to see samuel l jackson in a movie like this uh which makes you remember that like oh yeah there were some big name actors in the first movie too and then never again well, I feel like, uh, apologies to donnie Wahlberg. um Someone at Sabbatic actually once said that uh, the most believable thing about Spiral was that Sam Jackson plays Chris Rock's dad, which is kind of true. Um, uh, I like I like this movie is trying to go like a, sort of like a hard nosed pulpy detective story route. I thought that was a cool new angle to uh, take with this series. Um, it's just, it's not, like, it is really derivative and really cliched, like, and I, as much as I love a good pulpy, uh, detective story, it's just, like, all of the 
dialogue in this movie is really bog standard. Um, everyone else in the movie is pretty forgettable, except for Chris Rock and Sam Jackson. And but the like the big reason why this movie falls apart is the same way all the Saw movies fall apart. Like there's just a ridiculous twist that's easy to predict. Uh, just like all these like traps that are so convoluted that it really takes away sort of like the edge like the like there's so many like there's only maybe one trap in this movie that was that actually got under my skin because like you could imagine what that would feel like all the other ones are just like so out there and so ridiculous that you're like i this isn't even like this isn't even giving me the heebie-jeebies the way that some of these other film traps in the films do uh it really tries to have this uh very i don't want to spoil too much if you do see it but it really does want to uh try and have its own sort of like politically aware message uh in like a, which is interesting to see a saw movie come out in a post get out world but it's really on the nose it's not super thought-provoking it's uh nowhere near as like uh elegant as uh the commentary and get out is that being said this movie's all right it is it is pure it, like the saw movies are basically the modern equivalent of the friday the 13th films it is just popcorn horror movies and there's nothing wrong with that this movie i could see myself revisiting because there is enough in it that will draw me back and that being like the detective stuff and chris rock and uh sam jackson and uh the ending oh my god the ending is some of the most ridiculous shit for and that's saying a lot for this series but spiral also isn't that interesting of a film so two and a half out of five all right up next from 2021 i'm gonna sort of talk about these next two just like as one unit um I saw I I was just bored and kept hearing about this. Uh, I watched the first two entries in the R.L. Stein Fear Street uh, trilogy on Netflix. I do not have a serious connection to R.L. Stein at all. I never really read Goosebumps or anything when I was growing up. I was too much of a chicken baby growing up. Um, but I was just intrigued by the notion of uh, like what R.L. Stein material for like older kids would be like um this neither of these movies really impressed me that much talking about the first two entries 1994 and 1978 uh there's just like all this like from what i remember this like ludicrous world building that was really slow and really a trudge to get through um and it, once it, like, finally, once both entries finally get going, if I remember correctly, 1978 gets going a lot faster and gets to a lot more of the, like, slasher movie elements a lot faster, which was cool. Um, 1994 takes a really long time to get going. And it's just none of the characters are in either of these are super interesting. Um, I don't know. These movies are just so 
unremarkable to me. Uh, cool production design for both of them. They actually look and feel like the appropriate uh, era that they take place in. But that also makes me wish that I'm just watching a horror movie from that era, especially 1978, which is like a slasher movie in a summer camp. It makes me wish I'm just watching like an actual summer camp slasher movie from that era. Uh, but good licensed soundtracks, uh, period accurate licensed soundtracks for both of them too. Uh, yeah, just not a whole lot uh, that I feel like saying about either of these. They're just pretty meh, pretty unremarkable. I gave Fear Street 1994 a 2.5 out of 5 and 1978 a 3 out of 5, just mainly because of my biases towards the Summer Camp Slasher. Uh, but it's not like it's markedly better than 1994. Uh, moving on to an interesting little film that, again, uh, really has been getting hyped up, but was getting hyped up by Blade Disgusting and uh, other publications. Uh... And this one I actually watched over Halloween. Uh, this is Phil Tippett's Mad God. Um, there is... I mean, I'm going to read this synopsis just because I have no idea what the fuck this movie's about. Follow the assassin through a forbidding world of tortured souls, decrepit bunkers, and wretched monstrosities forged from the most primordial horrors of the subconscious mind. Every set creature and effigy in this macabre masterpiece is handcrafted and painstakingly animated using traditional stop-motion techniques. Mad God is a labor of love, a testament to the power of creative grit and an homage to the timeless art of stop-motion animation. Ready your eyes, ready your spirit, prepare to meet your maker. Yeah, so Phil Tippett is a special effects... Uh, he was uh, famous for like uh, visual effects supervision on the Star Wars trilogy, uh, Jurassic Park, and RoboCop, to name a few. Um, and this has been like his passion project for, I think, 30 years. Uh, this movie took a really long time for him to make, and that's why I think it was getting uh, such big uh, publicity, and also just because Phil Tippett is a... If you are into visual effects, uh, Phil Tippett is one of the greats. Um, what can I say about this movie? I do like this movie. There's, like, no dialogue, so it's all, like, pr primarily, like, a visual experience, a blend of stop-motion and live-action. Really cool, memorable visuals that do stick out in my mind. Um, it's not going to be for everyone it, it, because it is so weird. And it, uh, it does move kind of slow. Even at 84 minutes, this movie does just like feel kind of slow. And I think it's because it's purely a visual experience. Um, this movie is not going to be for everyone. Uh, what I can say about this movie is it's like one of the wettest goopiest movies I've ever seen in my life. There is just always something oozing or dripping or like shitting or farting or coming. There's just like so much like goopy wet fluid in this movie. It's just a gross movie and I kind of respect it for that regard. Uh, it's a cool it is a cool movie. It's more I, I appreciate it more as like this uh, passion project than I do like a movie that I'm amped to revisit a million times but i gave it a four out of five just because of the pure like creative uh ingenuity behind it i think it's kind of worth checking out especially if you're into like weird animation and 
just uh like cool like stop motion in general. There's a lot to be to enjoy in that movie. Um, moving right ahead to the Jordan Peele co-written and produced Candyman, directed by Nia DaCosta. Anthony and his partner move into a loft in the now-gentrified Cabrini. After a chance encounter with an old-timer exposes... After a chance encounter with an old-timer exposes Anthony to the true story behind Candyman, he unknowing, unknowingly opens a door to a complex past that unravels his own sanity and unleashes a terrifying wave of violence. This was a really cool movie. I like this movie a lot. I do not like it as much as I do the original. The original is one of my favorite horror films. So... I mean, that's a pretty tall, uh, high bar to meet. But this one's really good. Again, with uh, Jordan Peele co-writing it and producing it, they do something really unique with the idea of Candyman that, again, is very uh, socially aware and uh, politically aware, which I thought was really cool and I thought was very uh, appropriate given the uh, universe that the original Candyman inhabited as well. So I thought it was a, a neat addition to, like, the mythos uh, surrounding the uh, character of Candyman. This uh, uh, movie is shot excellently. It is a gorgeous-looking movie. It, of course, makes Chicago look, like, big and gothic and haunting like the original did. And there are some really genuinely frightening and disturbing moments that come from that. Um, again... Sort of like with Spiral, the message may be a little bit heavy-handed. I much prefer the the uh, th how the like uh, political nature of the original Candyman is more of a backdrop and less of the driving force of the narrative. But uh, it's a different movie, and it's uh, by uh, filmmakers who are very. Uh, passionate and active in these politics which is commendable um it's just for me personally uh more interesting in a film when uh it's more subtext than actual context but uh Candyman is very good Candyman 2021 is very good gorgeous score by trying to find his name uh Robert Ike Aubrey Lau um Aubrey Lowe, excuse me, I don't know why I said it like that. Uh, gorgeous score, uh, and a gorgeous soundtrack release by uh, Waxwork Records that I picked up. Um, well worth watching. Gorgeous looking movie. Uh, new take on an old classic. I gave it a 4 out of 5. Um, moving right ahead to... I actually saw a lot of movies, a lot of horror movies in 2021. Uh, James Wan's Malignant. Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders, and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are, in fact, terrifying realities. I'm going to tread lightly with this because I really don't want to spoil anything if you haven't seen Malignant. I'm going to say that this movie is mismarketed, uh, but I also do not know how you would sell what this movie actually is. Um, a lot of... Uh, production or like uh, promotional material kind of makes it look like another like James Wan sort of like conjuring like haunted house movie that's not what this is <laughs> um 
this movie kind of sucks <laughs> in the first uh, 30 minutes. Uh, the dialogue is really bad and really, like, soap opera-y. And uh, it's just kind of, like, it seems to, like, go nowhere. But once the mystery slowly unravels and then you get to the big reveal, this movie fucking rules. <laughs> this movie is, a like, a creature feature midnight movie delight that does not take itself seriously at all. There's just James Wan cutting loose, taking everything he has learned and done in his career as a filmmaker and just having a blast. He is taking really, really specific inspiration from uh, very specific types of horror films from the 80s and 90s, um, which, again, I don't want to spoil. Uh, the less you know about Malignant, the better, but it is also one of those movies where the reveal is so batshit that you <laughs> um, you are either going to be all aboard the hype train or you are going to drop this movie like it's hot. And uh, that's sort of there's sort of a split uh, critical reception on this movie because of that. I think this movie is fucking awesome. I think you should check it out. Uh, I gave it a 4 out of 5 just because there is some really, like, dopey, ham-fisted, like, bullshit uh, dialogue and acting <laughs> to get to the really, really good stuff. Um, but yeah, Malignant is cool. Really happy that uh, James Wan is getting these opportunities to do these weird, fucked-up movies. <laughs> Um, moving on to Last Night in Soho, by, uh, directed by Edgar Wright. A young girl passionate about fashion design is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters her idol, a dazzling wannabe singer. But 1960s London is not what it seems, and time seems to be falling apart with shady consequences. So this was kind of a big deal because it was sort of like the first straight horror film that Edgar Wright has done. He had done Shaun of the Dead, obviously, and uh, I guess the trailer for Don't in Grindhouse. But this is like his first like straight horror film. And a lot of people don't like this movie, and I understand why. Uh, I do like this movie, and I think it's more purely from, like, the visual aspect of this movie. This movie is fucking gorgeous. The production design, the cinematography, like, it is just a pure feast. When she comes out of the hotel and sees the giant marquee for Thunderball in 1965 London, it's fucking sick. And all the, like, stuff in the club is really cool. What it boils down to is the story. The story is pretty one-note, pretty predictable, and a lot of the actual scares that are, like, overtly scares are not convincing at all. These, like, ghoulish visions really look cheap and uninspired. The scariest bits of this movie are do come from Matt Smith's performance. He is intimidating as hell in this movie, and he's a really good villain. Um, I like this movie. I don't know if it's one I'm going to be in a hurry to revisit. Uh, I gave it a 4 out of 5, which uh, may have been generous, uh, because I don't really like... Uh, really remember having having that strong of feelings about it either way it's a pretty good film um i think 
I think uh, Edgar Wright has already sort of... Well, I shouldn't say that. It's entirely possible that he could uh, surprise us again. But he's just... He's been so good for so long that uh, a dud was sort of expected after a certain point. Um, Hot Fuzz and Baby Driver are always going to be the peaks for him. For me, personally. Uh, But this movie is alright. This movie is pretty cool. Cool. It's realistically more like a three or a three and a half out of five, uh, but it's visually arresting, which is like the main reason to watch this movie. If you're sort of into like 60s uh, culture, there's enough there to keep you uh, interested. Um, but yeah, that was 2021 in uh, horror films that I saw. Uh, moving on to 2022. Um, because again, skipping Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Moving on to 2022, starting with the January-released Scream. Uh, Scream 5, 5 Cream, Scream. 25 years after a streak of brutal murders shocked the quiet town of Woodsboro, a new killer has donned the ghost face mask and begins targeting a group of teenagers to resurrect secrets from the town's deadly past. This movie is really good. This movie is uh, on par with all the Scream sequels. It is smart. It is uh, tackling the proper climate and horror, which is uh, the Legacy sequel. So a lot of talk about like Terminator Dark Fate and the new Halloweens and stuff like that. Good, interesting new cast of characters. Um, loving returns. Uh, David Arquette fucking rules in this movie. Uh, Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox are always awesome. Um, I love Jack Quaid in this movie. Uh, the new characters are a lot of fun. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's a good scream movie. If you want another good scream movie, I've got good news for you. This is another good scream movie. I gave it a four out of five. Um, I mainly because uh, some of the dialogue in this movie almost feels too much like someone's giving a dissertation, which is sort of like I don't know how. Uh, Jamie Kennedy got it so right in the first Scream where it feels like someone just talking about movies. But there's, of course, the scene in this one where they have to explain the rules of like what is happens in a legacy sequel for a horror film. And it feels like she is like giving a... Uh, she's doing like a presentation for school. Like, it, like some of the dialogue in this movie doesn't feel supernatural. Um, it, it, uh, is the acting is a little bit wooden, or maybe the, like the script just wasn't directed that uh, tightly. Uh, but this is a solid ass movie. Good twists and turns. Um, simultaneously, is a good legacy sequel in its own right, while also uh, set uh, being a riff on all the tropes that we've been seeing recently. That cat just will not stop screaming. I do apologize. I hope it, this is <laughs> this is gonna be the worst episode of Monsters at Midnight. That's probably not true. Uh, there's always the famous episode where Jolin blacked out halfway through. Uh, but yeah, Scream is well worth watching. Uh, if uh, if you love the series, it's more of the same, but in the best way possible. Uh, Scream 6 coming soon, but with no Nev Campbell, so I'm kind of upset about that, but uh, I don't know. We'll probably go still see it. Um, not a horror film, but just want a quick shout, shout out to Batman. Uh, the Batman fucking rules. It's uh, my favorite Batman movie to date. Uh, 
everything I personally have wanted to see in a Batman movie has sort of come to life in this film. This movie's fucking sick. Uh, check it out. Really, really good. Um, X from Ty West. In 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas, but when their, recluse, when their reclusive elderly hosts catch them in the act, the cast find themselves fighting for their lives. It's essentially the Texas Chainsaw Massacre formula. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a big inspiration on this film, not only from like the setting, but just like sort of the pacing of this movie too. Um, this movie's really good. I really like it. Um, it is... Uh, I don't think it's quite as successful as uh, The House of the Devil by Ty West. It is almost like slow pace to a fault, uh, especially since like um, this movie is a lot more like uh, like a traditional slasher than um, uh, The House of the Devil. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking at my review because I'm trying to think of how I want to say this. It's thematically and substantially uh, nowhere near as subtle as uh, the House of the Devil. So, since it's all about like making porn, it's like the majority of this movie is like watching these kids make porn <laughs> so the slow the slow burn is a little too slow it's like we can get to the violence but when the violence hits it hits the uh elderly couple are a uh, really threatening and uh it's just like like ugh. it's just like a lot of like uh gross creepy moments in this movie uh the finale is batshit insane this movie actually probably has one of my new favorite uses of don't fear the reaper in a movie which is hard to say because it's been used in fucking everything at this point but i really like x i think it's worth checking out especially if you're a fan of like throwback horror and stuff like that still need to see pearl i have not had a chance to see pearl yet i'm hoping to do so so uh now that it is on streaming uh more moving on to jordan peele's uh third film nope Residents in a lonely gulch of inland California bear witness to an uncanny, chilling discovery. That is, uh, they really, man, that synopsis really does not give anything away. Which is good. Um, the less you know about this movie, the better. Um, I will, uh, what I will say is, it's sort of what I guessed from the movie, uh, tr the, or from the trailers. It is Jordan Peele's take on an alien film. Um, this one's less scary than some of his other, uh, movies, but with some really, like, fucked up, uh, disturbing moments in it. Um, but this movie is definitely paying homage to, like, the summertime blockbuster horror movie, like Jaws and stuff like that, because it's got that scope. It's a big, adventurous-looking movie. Um, it's a little long-winded, uh, there's, uh, one subplot that I am happy is in the movie because it's one of the most memorable parts of the movie, but ultimately doesn't contribute that much to the story. So this movie is just a little long at the tooth, but it's still really, really good. Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Kiki Palmer, uh, everyone is phenomenal in this movie. Uh, the, like, the cinematography is like just massive and beautiful 
another uh, great use of a song I really love in this movie, Sunglasses at Night, is used really well in this movie. Um, funny characters, uh, that uh, typical Jordan Peele uh, wit is injected. All around, very good movie. Uh, do not like it quite as much as Get Out and Us, but still very, very good. Uh, very different, very commendable. Exactly what you would expect uh, to see from Jordan Peele at this point in his career. Um, he's still one of my favorite voices in uh, modern horror because uh, he is succeeding at taking these tried and true ideas and making them wholly original and wholly his own. Gave it a 4 out of 5 just because it is a little long-winded. And I guess we'll finish this up with not really a horror movie, but I mean, I've got to talk about it. You know, I got to talk about it. I got to talk about Rob Zombie. Got to talk about The Monsters, now streaming on uh, Netflix. Herman and Lily's crazy courtship takes The Monsters on a hauntingly hilarious trip from Transylvania to Hollywood. And that is exactly what this movie is and exactly what this movie is about. It's a prequel to the TV series. So, like, I know Joe Lynn and some other diehard fans were upset that Eddie wasn't in it, but, like, I don't I don't have a strong connection to the Munsters at all. I've seen a couple of episodes here and there. I actually tried watching it before the movie came out uh, just to, like, get an understanding. I watched, like, the first episode, and I was like, okay, I get it. I, I think I understand what this is all about. Um, this movie... Like all of Rob Zombie's movies, though, at this point, has really been getting put through the ringer. Uh, this movie is not that bad. Like, this movie is perfectly fine. It is uh, cartoony, schmaltzy, cheesy, kind of endearing and sweet movie based off of a sitcom from the 60s. And you can tell that Rob Zombie is very passionate about the TV show and he's very passionate about making this movie. Like all the movies Rob Zombie makes, you can tell he's very passionate about telling the story. I think everyone's really good in it. Jeff Daniel Phillips is makes for a good Herman Munster. Uh, Sherry Moon Zombie is actually very entertaining and very funny as a Lily Munster. And I really like Daniel Roebuck as a grandpa. Uh, D. Wallace, yeah, uh, fucking uh, Cassandra Peterson is in it too. Like, a good cast. Uh, he picks good casts and does good things with them. The production design is incredible. Uh, I, I, he wanted to film in black and white, but I really like the uh, hyper Technicolor 60s psychedelia look this movie has. The production design is also incredible. Like, this, if you just, like, watch this movie without the sound, this would be, like, perfect backdrop for, like, a Halloween party. Because it's just, like, a very visually appealing movie. Probably one of his most uh, visually appealing movies. Um, this movie is really fucking too long, though. It's 110 minutes, which isn't, like, that long. But for the story that they're trying to tell... It is too long. Like, there are moments where I was checking the runtime. Like, yeah, this one probably could have been cut from the movie. We could have left this on the cutting room floor. Like, if this movie was 90, like, 80 to 90 minutes, it'd be a lean, mean, really fun, really uh, cute, really endearing uh, Munsters movie by Rob Zombie. As it stands, it's, uh, it's pretty good. Um... But in general, I don't think, actually, I don't even know if this movie being shorter would affect my feelings on it. I just, like, 
don't need the monsters in my life that badly. I gave it a three and a half out of five. It's charming. It's funny. It's cute. Uh, very different movie than we were used to getting with Rob Zombie, and it's very commendable. The best part about it is like the production design and the color grading. It's a very uh, um. Silent Dawn on Letterboxd uh, said that between this and Terrifier 2, there's like it's like a two movies that were released that uh, essentially act as uh, Halloween fetish objects, which is pretty true. Still need to see Terrifier 2, especially since that's getting such crazy good reviews. Um, once that comes to streaming, I do want to check that out because I'm not like a huge, huge fan of the first Terrifier, but I'm. I'm interested, but yeah, that, uh, that is all, I believe, oh, that cat, poor guy, um, he's fine, he's just, he's very old, and I genuinely do think he gets lost sometimes, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's gonna wrap up, uh, sort of, uh, the horror films that I saw since we last spoke, uh, did you see any of these? Let me know what you thought about them. Uh, shoot us a DM on Facebook or Instagram or send us an email at monsters.midnight, spelt incorrectly, at gmail.com, M-I-D-N-I-T-E. Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash mattflamingo. Um, and uh, tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them, tell them that we're back and uh, we're not going anywhere anytime soon. So... Uh, before I return to my coffin, I just want to thank you again for uh, making this so easy to slip back into. And uh, I'm not going to promise any sort of consistent release schedule. Um, might shoot for like bi-weekly or twice a month or something like that. But happy to be doing this again. And as long as you'll listen, I will keep doing this. So enjoy the rest of your evening, my groovy ghoulies. And I'll catch you later.